if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Spirit of the living God, I come to you and my request is that that you would speak and that you would soften hearts right now and you would do it in spite of me. And Lord, we want to hear from you. So Spirit, we want you to do what you have been so committed to doing and that is to take the word of God, sow it into our very hearts and allow it to, to change us radically transform us from within. And so, God, we recognize that that is an endeavor we will fail to accomplish, fail to even getting close to understanding the depths of without you. And so we need you, God. And so we say that at the the onset, we need you. And more than anything, Jesus, we want to see you rightly. We want to see you clearly. And so help us in that endeavor this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, about nine years ago, I uh, had the privilege of going to Winter Park, a group of friends of mine since college. We've been going for several years running. And so this is a photo of me and my wife, Kat, at the, at the summit, Winter Park. Beautiful, stunning. I need you guys to know it, it wasn't easy getting up there. Uh, if, if you've been before, you know that it's... It's kind of a terrifying journey to get up that high. You're on the lift and it starts rocking really hard because the higher you get, like, anyway, it's a little terrifying. And maybe it's just my personality. My wife and I, of our friend group, we're like the first ones that take that mid-morning break. We're like at the base, drinking $5 hot chocolate and cheese fries. And, And our friends end up walking in some hours later. We're like, come on in, guys, it's warm. And so we're those people at the mountain where we, uh, we're like there warming everybody's seats for them before because we're so kind and thoughtful. And uh, in fact, in truth, these are the moments where we're like, are we sure this is a good idea? Like, we're going to go to the very top. And if you can imagine with me, right, you get, you, we're snowboarding, as you can see. So we've got one, you know, one strapped on our leg and we get on the lift. And as you get up there, the lift starts doing this motion increasingly. And wind is like hitting your face at speeds wind should not hit your face. And all of a sudden, it's thicker, it's icier than it was down at the bottom. And by the time we got up there, first thing that happened is my wife fell right at the lift, you know, right when we get off the lift. She falls right down to her knees. And people are suffering as they're just swinging in, you know, standing motion now. And so I'm like, I love you, but we need to go. And, uh, And so the reason why this photo... Our goggles are on and our scarves are cut. It's because we've shed some tears. It's because our faces are really red. And so for this Instagrammable moment, we needed to cover our faces up. And so all that to say, today we'll feel a little bit like we're going to the summit of Winter Park. And what I mean by that is this. I know it is really comfortable and maybe soothing, safe for you to stay at home base with your $5 hot chocolate where it's warm. For you not to travel up on the lift and have to go up there where it's wind in your face, lift moving increasingly faster. I know for you and for me, 
It's easier to just sit warm and cozy by things like, ah, God's graciousness to me and his mercy abounding and how much he gently and tenderly loves me, which are all true things. This morning, though, we are going to take a journey together. We're going to go to the peak. And what I think we're going to find there in the process is that God's divine judgment That aspect of his character is not something to shy away from. It's not something to avoid. Rather, the invitation this morning from our passage is stop shying away and just just get on the lift so that we together at the peak can stand in awe of all of who God is and there in that place we'll come to find that we can actually savor the fullness of God more deeply. That it's there and only there that we can savor him deeply in that way. And so that's the invitation. There will be moments where you feel the rub. You feel the inclination to want to say, like, turn this thing around. It's not a good idea. And in those moments, my plea to you is just remember this, this process, this journey we're on. We're going to the summit. And it's all because we want to be a people who actually stand in awe of all of who he is and savor his fullness more deeply. Sound like a plan? Here we go. We've been in this series, Origins, and for the past several weeks, if you've been with us, we've, we've unpacked the beginnings, the genesis, if you will, of creation, his artistic and beautiful design. Then we got to see humanity unfold and flourish. Relationships come about in the way that God intended. And then in a crashing halt, we saw sin enter the system. And now, last week, we got to delve into how sin has this swelling, spiraling effect in our lives. And now today, we get, to, we get to pop right out and say, you know what we get to talk about this morning is divine judgment on all of it. Aren't you so glad you came today? Remember, let's lean in. The journey is hard. There will be some tears, perhaps, but it's so, so worth it. Look in your Bibles with me at Genesis 6 as we leap in. In verse 5, it reads this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I want to pause here. We just came off of Cain's story, this murderous journey of sin unfolding, Lamech popping up and saying, I I just killed a guy just for even looking at me the wrong way. And now what do we find? Sin has continued to swell. It is everywhere. Did you see the words that it's great in the earth? Every intention, only evil continually. I think think we're trying to get a message across here in Genesis 6. It's, It's extensive, but also it's intensive. It's, it's contrasted specifically with the Genesis 1 account. So that word intention, that every intention of man's thoughts of his heart are only evil continually, that word for intention is the same word for a potter fashioning and forming clay. It's supposed to make you think about what God did when he formed and created in Genesis 1. It's saying, do you remember what God was like and how he responded each way, each step of the way he formed, he fashioned, and what did he say in response? 
good, good, very good. And what does man do when they form in this space? In Genesis 6, what is the response from God each time he sees the intention of every single human being? Evil, evil, only and always. It's supposed to make you feel like the drift is so far now. The split is is so distant from one and the other. And in that space, we're supposed to recognize together that, oh, sin is is nonstop. The swelling is just... It's just going and going and infects everything about everyone. If we were to look at Genesis 6-11, we'd find that the earth is corrupt and filled with violence. Now, I just want to pause here. You may be like me, and you may read those verses and hear those phrases and be like, That's, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> sounds pretty awful. That's not me. I didn't wake up this morning with ill intent in my heart. I wasn't like waking up thinking of violence when I wanted my cup of coffee. And yet, I need you and I to recognize something together today. Let's let's agree again. We're getting onto the lift. We're going to experience some of the shaking. And the first moment of shaking that you and I need to, to understand and grapple with is this is talking about us. This is talking about you and me. There's a slide up on the screen that's going to come up, and it's just news clippings from this week alone, from the past couple of days. Just a couple. So we've got mass shooting, stabbing by a former police officer, 24 children dead in Thailand. California, a loss of four family members that were kidnapped and killed. Las Vegas, stabbing, the, the ongoing fear that we feel of what's happening in Ukraine because now a nuclear plant has been taken over and, and not even to reference the fact that there were a mass stabbing in Canada a couple of days ago. Protesters in Iran are being killed for protesting against a corrupt government. There's, there's violence ensuing in the West Bank day after day after day and those are just snippets that you and I have all become numb to because it happens every single hour of every single day. And so you know what I think that God sees when he sees the world you and I operate and live in? Corrupt, filled with violence. And I think you and I have to understand together this morning, like, yeah, that's, that's us. That's the world we live in. And it's true of our intentions, our thoughts, and our hearts. We, we are wicked. It's great. I know you're really glad you came this morning. Just want to settle in there. Um, but... It, this sobering truth, it has to help you and I come to this, this recognition that we are part of a very serious problem. And, and this, uh, this problem, a problem of this magnitude, of this severity, it requires a severe solution. And so what is God's response? Right, because that's the question that is begged from a passage like this. Well, what is a just, righteous, good God going to do about it? Is he going to abdicate on, his, on justice? Is he going to ignore his responsibility as God, the sovereign one who created all things? Is he just going to take a backseat and throw his hands up in the air and say, well, good luck? I think you and I can collectively agree that that would be a terrible choice. That would be bad. I think we can all agree that we would not like it if God made that sort of decision. Imagine that the news clippings you just saw. If any human ruler, president, prime minister, judge, or jury decided just to say, well, I'm just going to leave it be. 
Good luck with that. They would be fired tomorrow. And so all that to say, I think you and I need to understand, one, there is a, a very serious problem, and it is our wickedness. And it requires a right response of severe judgment. Again, we start to feel the unsettling nature of what we're diving into today. You begin to feel just how the wind is picking up and you're, you're asking, why did we have to come this morning? And yet and still, the invitation for all of us is as the lift continues to shake, keep going. We're not there yet, and it's uncomfortable but we have to recognize as we get closer and closer to the summit, we have a serious problem and it requires a very severe solution. It is God's right response as a just and righteous God to enact divine judgment. You may not like it. It may be of your opinion that maybe there's a better way, but I think we all have to collectively agree that God, because he is God, and the world is so wrought with wickedness, there has to be something done about it. And the answer that God provides is that he will, quote-unquote, blot out man. He sees the problem, the severity of it, and you and I need to come to this collective agreement this morning. The problem is us. It's us. It's not out there somewhere in the world for the violent people that do bad things. It's not sometime in the past, back in Genesis 6, thousands and thousands of years ago. No, it's beating right there in your chest. You're the problem. I'm the problem. So keep coming. We're going to keep going on this journey together. And we're going to come to find that as as we try our best to, to swallow that pill... That God's right response to our wickedness is judgment, we're going to find that in these next verses that it's inviting us to reflect on something better, to be exposed and bear witness to something that, that inspires wonder, and that is his holiness. So look with me in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. It reads this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, and Noah's wife and their three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, all the livestock, every bird, every creeping thing according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. In verse 17, it says this, The flood continued 40 days. The waters increased, bore up the ark. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly. The ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily that all the high mountains under the whole earth were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. 
He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Ooh, all right. This is not, this is not children's book material. Am I right? Like tale style narrative. This is a picture on the screen behind me of, of a book that tries to encapsulate Noah's ark, his narrative, this story. Chapter 7, right here, A for Ark. It, it looks like a book that I would buy my son. And, and what we just read does not feel like that. Am I right? Like it, Noah is flinging up a bird as if he's like throwing a baby up in the air to catch it back again. And all the animals are cheery, laughing, and happy, and clappy. And we got the panda there just chowing down, having a grand old time. That's not what's happening in Genesis 7. Time and again, what we are being exposed to is here in chapter 7, it feels like the crisp air that enters into your lungs, that kind of hurts a little bit because it's like so cold. As, as we're getting up on that lift, it feels a little painful. And it's because it's God's power and his authority on grand display. And that makes you and I feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Did you see the words prevailed used a dozen times, it felt like? On the screen, you'll see what prevailed, prevailed, prevailed. That word is literally the word translated for mighty. Mightily, it increased mighty on the earth. It rose high. It prevailed so mightily. It's, it's might above the mountains. It's it's the waters prevailed down at the bottom again. It's, it's this repetition to try to help you realize that when God says a thing and does a thing, it's powerful. The waters covered everything. And do you feel like the fountains from beneath burst open? The windows of heaven crashed asunder and all the water is spilling down. You, do you recognize what's happening here? We're going back to the first page of your Bible. In the way that God created the heavens and the earth, in the way that he said from deeps to deeps, let's split them up, heavens and sky, he is now what he separated colliding back together. He is saying with the word of my mouth, everything that I created, I can undo in a moment. He allows the waters and the waters to converge. And what does it, what does it result in? The blotting out of all that is. That phrase, to blot out again, it's this word in the Hebrew, that means to erase by washing clean. I don't know about you, but I don't think of A for Ark kind of images when I think about what's happening here with God's power and his holiness on grand display. But not only that, we also see his authority. If you've ever wondered, how in the world does Noah, a seemingly average, regular guy, build an ark that big? It's about the length of a football field and a half about 150 yards. About the number of yards that B. John Robinson from Texas yesterday put on Oklahoma, but that's beside the point. And that's um, focused, it's beside the point. That's beside the point. But how in the world did Noah, an average regular guy, get all those animals, male and female, two by two, get them onto the boat? Did you see it in the text? As God commanded He didn't have to do anything. By the authority of God's word, every single pairing came for Noah into the ark. And so all of this is is crying out. It's screaming out to us, okay, chapter 7, it's kind of 
unsettling. It makes you feel uncomfortable. You're second-guessing why you left your $5 hot cocoa down at the base. Because this isn't the journey you signed up for. To feel this degree of God's judgment on display in this form and fashion. And yet the invitation is, it's, it's rocking, the wind is in your face, but keep on going. Because it's not just the fact that his power and his authority is on display, it's also the mystery of God. His holiness inspires wonder. Did you see earlier in the text, the first passage we went into in, in Genesis chapter 6? What did it say when God decided to blot out all of it? What did it say? In verse 6, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. Later on in verse 7, for I am sorry that I have made them. You see, this makes us do some theological cartwheels here of like, how, how how do I grapple with this? God, I think, biblically is unchanging. He does not change. The way that the author of Hebrews would write it is, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Unchanging. James would say, there is no variation, no shadow due to change. He is the same. But what do we just read here? What do we read also in 1 Samuel 15 when God says he uses the same word, he regretted that he made Saul king? What does it mean? How how is God unchanging and changing at the same time? How is that possible? How can he have remorse for an action he's done or an action he may do? How is he changeable in that way if he is unchanging? You see, this is a mystery. And the reason that you and I can look at God and say, that's a head scratcher, I don't get it, is because you are finite and God is not. Because you are you and God is holy. Holy literally means other. There is no one like him in all the universe. No being like him anywhere. So he can be both unchanging and changeable at the same time. And though that will leave you and me feeling like, okay, now the wind is in my face and I've been knocked over and I don't like it. I don't like this place with my knees in the snow. It feels that way, but it is the mystery of God, and it's crying out, holy. God is holy. But not only that, not only is there a mystery about changeability and unchangeability, there's also the mystery of, you know what God judges through the lens of? I think it's easy for us to read a passage like this and feel like God is some like Roman or Greek mythology figure lying on a couch, eating grapes, and being like, yeah, kill them all. We're done with them. Do over. What did it say in the text we just read again? It grieved him to his heart. Like, you want to know the mystery of how God can enact this degree of judgment because he is good, right, and true, and just. You want to know what sort of emotional lens he does it from primarily? Grief down to his heart. Like in the very core of who he is, it grieves him, it pains him because he is not operating as a God who does not care, as one who just says, done with him. It grieves, it to, it grieves him to his heart. You see, this all together cries out, this is something else entirely. This God is someone else that I can't fathom fully. You know who God is not? God is not your weekly crossword puzzle. He's not your like, okay, I just need to strategize. What's my mode and my method? He is not easily calculatable. He can't be comprehensively thought about in an hour or a hundred hours. 
We will spend a lifetime understanding more of God, an eternity relishing in the presence of that who is holy, other, set apart. We are, we are on the surface of who God is to this day. And that, that should inspire for all of us a longing to know more, not a longing to just stay down at home base with your cocoa and your, and your, and your cheese fries. This is not, though it feels safer and more comfortable to just think about the things you enjoy thinking about about God, can we together agree that there's more to be had, there's more to be known, there's more to be seen? He is holy, set apart, and the invitation from God to you is know all of me, know more of me, keep coming, keep coming. So I know we're experiencing the tension here. You just got off the lift. Some unruly, inconsiderate person just whizzed off by behind you and knocked you down. I get it, it's not easy. But can we together just breathe in deep the crisp air of, okay, this is, this is who God says that he is. Can we believe that that's actually gonna get us to a place to be more in awe of him? And I, and I want us to unpack that word awe. Awe is to have a reverential wonder and fear. It's not just to think niceties about God. It's actually to be amazed by him, to have a, a, a healthy fear of him. And from these initial passages, we, we get to that place of, yeah, God, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. There's a little bit of fear in my heart, but I, I think wonder is starting to, to sprout up. And so now that we're in this place, I need you to know this is not the end. God doesn't stop there in this story. And so as we experience the unsettling realities, the tension of the moment, can we together collectively breathe in deep that God, because he is just and good and right and true, his judgment also requires satisfaction. It requires satisfaction. Look with me in, in your Bibles at Genesis chapter 8. Genesis 8 verse 13, it reads this. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds, animals, creeping things that creep on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on it. So Noah went out, his sons, his wife, his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So we reach the conclusion of this portion of the narrative. Divine judgment has been enacted. It has been executed. And we together have to recognize with Noah that it is a little eerie. Can you imagine with Noah, like, roof removed? He pops off the boat. Can you imagine that apocalyptic sort of scene? Everything is eerily still. And he's wondering, like, did God really do it? It's this moment where, where Noah, sure, he's with the seven other people on the boat and all these animals that are, you know, chomping down and smiling, but 
it had to have been an apocalyptic, eerie moment for Noah. He had to recognize in that place that, oh, wow, God is serious about this. God doesn't mess around when it comes to what is rightfully responded to when it comes to wickedness. That it is judgment and his judgment is sweeping. But I want us to pause and also recognize just for a moment that though in Noah's day and age it was the floodwaters, do we, can, can we agree that The Christian message, the the message of the scriptures, the gospel, is not a happy, clappy, it's all good and, and butterflies and rainbows sort of message. There is, to this day, the warning of divine judgment on sinners. And though you may think about the street preacher with a sign up that says, you're going to hell, like that's not who you want to be. And so you're going to avoid the topic altogether. We have to recognize that 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 is a part of, of the scriptures that is a part of the message of we are trying to help people understand there is judgment coming. And it's not waters this time. It's fire. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the text will be on the screen behind me. It reads this. He, he just got done referencing the people who are saying, oh, Jesus isn't coming back to judge the world. And what does he say in response? He references Noah and says, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, the truth of this message, our message is, please, please, If you are in the room today and you have not accepted Jesus as Savior and as Lord, please, please, would you consider him? Would you look to him? Because there is judgment coming that is due our wickedness. But not only do we recognize that God's judgment demands this level of satisfaction, we also remember with Noah's story That when it comes to God's judgment, there is always a means of rescue. Always. A means of grace, unmerited. That if we were to trace back even into Noah's story, did you see that Noah sure is called blameless and righteous. But before any of that is even prescribed of Noah, described of him, it says that God gave him grace. God favored him. That grace precedes anything that we try to earn on our own. And that is God's way of trying to message to us as we've reached the summit of the mountain. Do you see my holiness and your wickedness, all of it on display? And do you also see that I am providing a means of rescue? You see, Noah's ark. Noah's ark was enough to rescue eight individuals. Just eight. And a pack full of animals. And divine wrath, the waters of divine wrath, crashed over a broken world. That's Noah's story. 
to contrast that with Jesus. Jesus' cross has the power and the capability to ransom an entire broken world as the divine wrath of God crushed him. You see, this is, this is a foretaste. Genesis 6 through 8 is trying to help us see the problem is really, really severe. The solution is really severe also. But God did not judge you and me. Instead, he crashed over the waters of divine wrath. On who? On the one person in all the universe that did not deserve it. And so as we reach the mountain peak, the invitation this morning is here, as you've gone on that journey that has, that has caused some unsettlingness in your heart, discomfort of wondering if you should have made this journey at all, as you finally breathe in that crisp air, the, the recognition is this. You would not love and appreciate this Jesus and his cross and his empty tomb and the fact that he is coming again if we did not go on this journey together. If you did not fully see with eyes wide open, ah, this is why it had to happen this way. So I'm going to invite you to do one thing to conclude this morning, and that is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I'm going to read Matthew 27 over you. And my request is this, aware, fully aware, seeing a little bit more rightly who you are, the wickedness that exists in your heart, who God is and how grand and holy and set apart he is, will you receive all that Jesus has done for you? In Matthew 27, it reads this. And having scourged Jesus... They delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. They came to a place called Golgotha. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so, Jesus, we want, to, we want to understand a little better this morning. We want to see you a little bit more clearly. And, and in that, we have gone on this journey to get to, 
get to a place that causes some unrest in our hearts, some discomfort talking about, thinking about aspects of you that that make us want to shy away, and yet it is the fact that you are true and right and just and holy and set apart that we can actually see you and then see Jesus there on that rugged tree, taking all of it on, the, the entirety of your wrath, the entire cup poured out on him. He drank it in full for me. And God, I want to see him a little more clearly today in that place. And I want to so badly stand in awe in the ways that the centurion and the guard do. I want to be filled with such wonder and reverential fear of, I cannot believe you did this. God, I want us to be a people who savor it more deeply today. We deserved it. And you took it in full. And so Jesus... Please, allow us this day to stand in awe and to savor your sacrifice, to love you more deeply. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.